This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Paul here with nobody. Flying solo today as John's at work causing hate and discontent throughout the world. We are one day removed from that debacle of a series against the Minnesota Twins. And, well, it's just been a rough week all around if you're an Angels fan. But we do have to keep going. The Texas Rangers come in town tonight. They will be, well, they're in the second place right now in the AL West. Angels are 22 and 27, struggling quite a bit. And that led to some, well, some interesting things that we saw online last night for on Angels social media. It's really what it is. It's Angels social media flipping out. And quite frankly, I don't blame them. I don't blame them one bit. We saw one person reply this morning saying fans are just sick of losing. We want the type of team that we have from 2002, 2009. Until we get that, expect more extreme criticism from me and most every Angels fan. That's from Robert Davis. That's at bdavis621 on Twitter. I get it. I get it. I don't blame the frustration. It's one of those things where you think by now this team should be figuring it out. I think they are. I think this is more of a long-term plan they have in place, but I can't tell you that for sure. I really can't. All right, folks, before we get into it, if you are enjoying our show and you like what we're doing, please check us out on iTunes or Stitcher or Spreaker or wherever you are. Subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you're on iTunes, which most of you are, we would really appreciate a five-star review to help us move up the charts, help us move up into rankings out there. If you want us to earn it, great. Send us an email at Give us your feedback. And if you're a new listener and you're enjoying the show, do us a favor, please. Let a friend know. Whether it's through a text or whether it's through an email or just through conversation, let let them know about us and that we're here, we're covering the team. We're one of the few Angels podcasts out there, and I think we're more regular than most. Not all, but most. So I hope you are enjoying the show and, and what's going on. So we also have an open phone line now that you can call and leave a message, and if it's a clear enough message, because sometimes it always come in clear, we'll put it up on the air and let you listen to it. We got one from Cassandra last night. Check it out. Here's her message to us. Hey guys, 
It's Cassandra. I am calling in because, like you said, everybody's frustrated tonight. And um, I just wanted to know if you guys could elaborate a little bit on um, the pitching stuff that's going on and um, people from the farm team that can come up. Um, I'm kind of, I've been an Angel fan since I'm six years old, but I don't know a lot about how baseball works. I appreciate um, your podcast and everything that you're teaching me and just kind of go over some stuff. I'm I'm super confused about this team. We have such a great team. Everybody on this team is so awesome and great, and I just don't get it. Okay. Love you guys. Thank you for your podcast, and go Angels. Love you. So the big thing she wants to know about is pitching. Here's the problem with the pitching. The Angels have a couple guys developing in the farm system, but they don't, it's not real deep in starting pitching. They've improved depth at in relief pitching, at position uh, position players, but in terms of starting pitching, there's there isn't much quite yet. There's some guys in the lower levels, and of course Suarez down there, who's making a name for himself. I would expect him later in the year. So what's happening right now is you have these guys like a like a Matt Harvey, for example, or a Trevor Cahill. You signed hoping. Not not expecting greatness out of them, maybe a four four five ERA, but someone who eat up innings for you and keep you in games. That's what they were expecting, and these guys haven't worked. They haven't worked out yet. Now maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe they won't. But that was the risk the Angels took. And I know people are criticizing the left and right for taking this risk. I don't know that you can. Cahill's been pretty consistent throughout his career. Matt Harvey is more of a risk in terms of his high and low, what you can expect. He's never been quite right since the 2015 season. But I think overall, it was just the idea of these guys are placeholders. That's all they are. They are placeholders for one season. And in the end, their goal was to develop from within. Have these guys on hand, under your control, for on the cheap for a few years before you have to pay them. And hopefully build around that core of Mike Trout and Simba Simmons and so on and so forth. Okay, So that's what's going on. That's the real deal here. I, I wouldn't worry so much about this season. I know a lot of Angels fans are frustrated. I'm frustrated. I don't like watching them get hammered like they did last night. But I think two things you have to remember here is the Minnesota Twins are very, very good. They're very good. And if you don't think they're a contender, then you probably are high on something. They are a contender. I don't think they're as good as Houston is. I think they're probably a year away from that. But they are the class of AL Central. Indians are done. Right now, you are done in terms of being a competitor for this Twins team. The offense is too good. The pitching's just good enough. And so give credit to the Minnesota Twins for being a solid team. Also, the other problem here is starting pitching, but the Angels hitters didn't do much for the first two games of the series, honestly. They didn't give enough support. So the basic problem is the Angels just aren't consistent across the board. They're average in many places. Their starting pitching has been below average. Their hitting is streaky. It's just the fact they're just not a very good baseball team. Are they horrible? No, they're not horrible. But when they face up against good clubs, they're in trouble. Look at the year. The only team they've beaten consistent they beat consistently with is what the Brewers. Any other team that was hot or is a pretty good team. They've not been very good with at all. The Yankees, the Astros, when the Mariners were streaking, Angels had nothing for them. It just is what it is. 
This is the bottom line. And that's how the year is going to be. That's really how And by the way, Cassandra, uh, you're the, thank you for sending us that message. It was very, you honor us, I think, with your kind words. And we really appreciate the fact that you trusted us with your question. And you know, let us know that we're, we're teaching something on this podcast for, for those who are more casual fans. Um, but the main thing for the main thing for today's show, we just want to kind of get you away from the overall of what's going on. It's a tough weekend. Just on a four game losing streak, they open with Texas tonight. Griffin Canning's on the mound this weekend. Uh, that's, that's good stuff. Well, there's some things to look forward to, folks, and we'll see if the Angels can at least do something within the division in the next few games with Texas and Oakland on the agenda. But we also have for, with us today Tim Brown. The Yahoo Sports National Baseball writer. It's a big deal for us. He used to cover the Angels for a long time. Still writes a lot about the Angels. We, um, we're big fans of Tim Brown. Tim Brown has been very good in terms of his career, and we're privileged to have him on the show. So without further ado, here is Tim Brown from Yahoo Sports talking a little bit of baseball and also about his book, Imperfect, with Jim Abbott. Here you go. All right, folks, I'm here with Tim Brown from Yahoo Sports, one of the writers I have been reading for a large portion of my adult life. And don't think that ages him, that ages me. <laughs> um, thanks so much, Tim, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I asked you to come on basically about your book that's a little bit older now that kind of has been making some rounds of late. But before I even go there, how are you doing? I am doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, you know what I mean. What I'm saying. When I, when I say I've been reading your work for a long time, literally when I was in the military, I was overseas, keeping up with the Angels and and West Coast baseball, especially by reading your stuff. So that's been a long time. Um, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, well, you're welcome. You're one of my favorites. So the thing about the book, Improbable Life, with Jim Abbott, Imperfect. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a weird thing because I asked you on the show at the top of the book, man, because it is sort of fell on the radar, but recently as Things have changed with Mike Trout signing a long-term contract and doing more research. I've been seeing this book popping up over and over again in Angel Circles, much more even when it came out in 2012. So I'm going to treat this book like it's a new release. So, well, well that's, that's good to know. It was actually on the New York Times bestseller list uh, when it came out. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'll be looking for those checks. <laughs> I hope so. But, I mean, I'm serious. I've been doing research on it. I, I, I spent a lot. I've been, when we launched this podcast, I immediately was looking for other things we can do besides just covering the team, the now. We cover a lot of history. And when you cover history, you look for books. And, I, you know, there's a couple out there from uh, Ron Goldman. And then I found yours. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. This, did this pass me by? I've been an Angels fan for 30 years. How did this book pass me by? What was going on in 2012? <laughs> so... You know, and then I keep seeing. It. I've been seeing it pop up all over again, all over Amazon, and so on and so forth. So here we are. But what convinced you to write you and Jim Abbott to write this book? What was the the main goal that you guys were trying to get across? Well, I'll answer that. I will say that um, you know Jim is now fifty one years old, and he has two daughters at Michigan now. Um, one plays water polo, the other plays volleyball. Um, so that's. Uh, that's where we are today. Um, what convinced me to write the book? Well, I was a, uh, my first big league job writing was covering the Angels. Um, it was part-time in 1989. I was covering the Angels and doing preps and things like that. I was a young man. And then my full-time, first full-time year was 1990. So those were uh, the years of, of that sort of vaunted rotation 
of course. Um, still the California Angels at the time. Um, but those were Chuck Finley and Mark Langston, Kurt DeCasco, even toward the end of Burt Blylevin's career. And uh, Jim, of course, was a, was a big part of that rotation. And he was always a guy that I admired, I, I, you know, as, as most did. He had a great spirit about him. I remember thinking that uh, I'd hardly ever seen anyone take a loss as hard. Um, you know, he, he was just—he was just an easy guy to talk to, and uh, I, I know that there were a lot of things written at the time. I think there were a couple unauthorized type biographies, even I believe a children's book. I read People that. wanted to do movies. Yeah, <laughs> I did. People wanted to do movies. You know, there were all sorts of things. And Jim was always very uncomfortable with that sort of thing. People would come to a master about um, doing a book or doing a movie, and he said no. He said, you know, he didn't want to make, he didn't want to stand out uh, unless it was for his pitching. So we had kept in touch over the years. Uh, he retired in '99, and uh, I obviously did not retire in '99. And uh, he called me one day and said, hey, I'm ready to tell my story. And the reason I want to tell it is because I want my daughters to know their grandparents, uh, the, the effect they had on him, how they raised him. And they wanted, he wanted them to know his story, their story together. And he said, I, so that's why I want to write this book. It was never, hey... You know, I, I, I want to make, turn a fast buck or anything like that. It was never about that. It was it was supposed to honor his parents and to bring his daughters into sort of that that focus of, of who he was and, and struggles he had and why maybe he was the father he was. So uh, that's what got it going. And he said, look, you know, I, I know you and I trust you. And what do you think? Do you have the time? And I said, absolutely. So that's how it got started. So you, a lot of times books like this end up becoming you know, a feel-good story, even the, the child's book that I read. And it's weird that you mentioned <laughs> the book. I, I just I read that book. <laughs> I've been a long-time <laughs> Angels fan since I was a child, and I, I read it as a child. And right. so I'm guessing it's, you know, a lot of these books are your typical feel-good stories about you know, triumph in the end and so on and so forth, but it sounds like that's not really what the point of the message was. So in telling the story about the effect of his parents, what was like the main thing that he was trying to get across about his parents to his kids? I think the, the, the important, it was funny, his parents were kind of different. Um, I mean, from each other, <laughs> not generally different. But they, you know, they had both, Grown up in Flint, Michigan. Uh, neither of their families had a ton of money. Um, Jim's dad worked in the family butcher shop, uh, meat company. And Jim's dad was a terrific athlete. He was multi-sport, uh, sort of a, a local legend. And so sports were really important to him. And, uh, you know, it was about... Ultimately, for Jim's dad, it was about, so what are you going to do about it? What, you know, it, okay, you were, you were born perhaps a little less physically com complete than others, but 
But Mike, his dad, never saw it that way. He saw it as, okay, you know, let's play ball. Let's go do this. Let's go. It never slowed Mike down at all. Jim's mom was, was a bit more sympathetic and I think had to be talked into some of those moments a little bit. But uh, I think that's where Jim's strength ultimately came from is, is both that community where, you know, one of the proudest days of Jim's life was, was being picked at 11 years old to play in the neighborhood game. You know, he was always the last guy because there were assumptions made about how good he'd be on the basketball court or on a baseball field or wherever. And so he was always the kid who at the end, if there was an odd number of kids would turn around, get back on his bike and ride home and sit in his room. And until his dad came home and said, get your butt back out there, let's go, you know, make your way, figure it out, figure out a way to do it. So uh, his dad did not give him an inch. And I think that's part of the young man we met in, 1989, uh, who didn't want an inch and wasn't going to give one. Now, years later, it's it's been 30 years, and many people did not really to see his story. They didn't see him pitch live. We got to see him pitch live, and it was really, <laughs> really neat to even watch him switch the glove over from one hand to the other, uh, one arm to the other arm, and then make a play. It was one of the coolest things you could, I could ever remember watching any Angels game is what he can do with the pitch. Years later, mm-hmm. with this book that came out, and you know, what was the feedback you got from the younger generation about Jim Abbott? I think there, it was sort of lost, and you know, I thought it was an undertold story at the time, not because people didn't try, but because Jim, you know, was so focused on just being a pitcher. I, I thought one of the most interesting things was as as he went through high school and became a prospect and went to Michigan and became an All-American and went to the Olympic team and won the gold medal game and was drafted and went straight to the big leagues. Jim desperately wanted to be judged solely on whether or not he was a good pitcher. Uh, He was tired of the, you know, all the most inspirational awards and the questions and, and those sort of things. So he would stay laser-focused on just becoming the best pitcher he could be. What was ironic, and we covered this a lot in the book, is that that never really happened for him. He would, he would always be the inspirational one-handed pitcher until he wasn't a very good pitcher anymore. And then suddenly people were more than willing to judge him as an average or below-average pitcher which happened pretty quickly in New York. So uh, I, I think that was an element that was really critical in the story and a, and a lesson he learned. You know, <laughs> people are going to see what they're going to see. And um, so I think there was so much more of the story. It was those sorts of uh, revelations, I think, in the book that, uh, that helped to tell his story. And, and I, we talked a lot early, and I said, look, I don't want to – tell them you're insp- the reader you're an inspiration or tell them that you worked hard or tell them that you had tough times i'd rather show them i'd rather uh, put them in places where they could make their own choices on that and so that's what we tried to do 
So you mentioned earlier as well, you you covered the Angels very early on. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you're at, you're out in California now. You you still write a lot about the Angels. I'm like just reading some of your stuff. You know, with, you know, going back to Mike Trout signing and then going back deeper, you still write about them a lot. I like it's like whenever you get a chance to, to write about the Angels, you do. What what are some of your favorite stories about the Angels that you put in print? Oh wow, that's a great question. So so as the national baseball writer for Yahoo, I I, I stopped covering the Angels on a daily basis in '93, I believe, and uh, so as the national baseball writer for Yahoo for the past. 11 or 12 years and for the two or three years prior to that as a national baseball writer for the LA times, um, I live in LA. So it's, I write about everybody, but I see an awful lot of the angels and I see an awful lot of the Dodgers because those are the ballparks I'm generally in. Um, my favorite stories, gosh, um, that is a really good question. I think obviously the, the, the Abbott story stands above most, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, those early teams were really, were really fun and, and were super educational for me. It was a different time. The relationship between the writer and the player was different. There was a lot more education going on. Um, you could have honest conversations with guys. I remember telling stories about Bob McClure or Chuck Finley uh, that I felt like I got more out of than, than anybody um, in terms of how to pitch, how to, how to survive in the game. By then, McClure had been around for a long time. Um, that the, to have Doug Rader as the first manager you ever covered was a monster. You know, he was a very intimidating guy. Um, and so um, he, was, he was interesting. I think, you know, I think these days, I think that Mike Trout is the best player I've seen end-to-end over the course of of a good part of his career. Um, All the things he does well um, make him the best player I've ever seen. I thought the Vladdy years were fantastic. Those are the favorite Mm at-bats of my career. I I couldn't turn away from from any of his at-bats. They were just such great theater. And I really enjoyed those teams, those those Vladdy circa um, what late aughts uh, Angels teams because of the way they played the game, the way they got after it, the you know the the Figgins and the Ibars and and Eckstein's and the yeah. Garrett Andersons and the the Erstads and the Edmonds. They were just really really fun to watch uh, and made made the game interesting and fun and things like that. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's one or two particular stories. I think, you know, they, they just, to be honest with you, they all get a little fuzzy at my age. <laughs> but I, I sort of like them all. Well, there was like time. children to me, Derek. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, it's like the same for doing the podcast and things I've written. Uh, I write about the Rams a lot. And so the things that, there's always those favorite ones you hold on to, but then when someone asks you, well, what were the things you like about it? You're like, well, gee, I wrote that so long ago. What was it I like so much about it? <laughs> right, I can't. Right, I can barely remember. There, but going back, you mentioned you mentioned the Vladdy days, and there was a time in that early to mid 2000s where there was some thought that perhaps the Angels could gain some ground the Dodgers in Southern California. Being as though how the Dodgers have turned it around after the court days, is that even really possible for the Angels? Uh, 
I don't think so. I think there was some thought they could gain some ground because of the McCourts and the disaster that was going on uh, at Dodger Stadium that they may have been vulnerable. The Dodgers may have been vulnerable in the market. And, you know, you see that conversation in New York every once in a while. Can the Mets overtake the Yankees? But I think the Dodgers are so thick in the fabric of of Los Angeles, um, and I sort of include Anaheim as Los Angeles-ish. I'm not sure, you know, I mean, those years the Angels were undoubtedly the more interesting team, the more exciting team, the more proficient team. They had the better players. They had the better management. They had all of that. And they had their run. But when it comes back down to it, I think it's always going to be a Dodger town. So with all that in mind, what can the Angels hope to achieve in the Southern California region? Well, you know, I mean, they're kicking around a new ballpark. Um, see the latest news seems to center around Long Beach. Um, you know, I, you wonder, don't you? Because, uh, there should be no better draw than Mike Trout. But if you're going to be just sort of average every year, if, if you're going to be Mike Trout and a bunch of guys that people have just sort of minimal interest in and, you know, I, uh, then I'm, I'm not sure it's in the foreseeable future, particularly as well as the Dodgers are playing now. They've, they've got an awful lot of good players that people like to go see. Uh, you know, I think it comes down to winning again, you know, consistent winning and putting a product on the field that people have to go see. Uh, and Angel Stadium is fine, and there's plenty of people down there. And I think they, the two franchises can coexist fine. I think maybe in the, the overlap areas in, in those 50 miles between Dodger Stadium and Angel Stadium, probably there you can convert some folks. But again, I, it goes back to you can't every single year be patching together lineups and pitching stabs and finishing you know, around 500 and expect people to respond. Is that your take on the current Angels? I mean, given their strengths, their weaknesses, and farm system, how soon do you believe they can seriously compete again? Well, you know, I mean, the team right now as it stands is is an average offensive team, uh, is an average pitching team, and, and a well below average starting pitching team. It's an average defensive team. And, I, you know, I think if you're an Angel fan, the hope comes from the likes of a Griffin Canning, um, from the financial outlay they just made for Mike Trout. Um, but this has to happen more, far more often. You know, I, I, just, mm-hmm. I just don't think you can continue to um, plug in you know, cross your fingers and, and plug in Trevor Cahill and Matt Harvey uh, and and whatever's going on in your bullpen and hope that works. You know, it's it's just it's just not sustainable. Now, I know under Billy Epler, the farm system has gotten slightly better. It's still not in the top twenty according to the last rankings I saw. Uh, the canning thing has been terrific. He looks like a, a good good young pitcher with good stuff and, and great confidence and, and all, but there's going to have to be a lot more of that um, before the angels. I think, you know, 
the division they're in, the Astros are, are just a machine. So it's going to take some effort. So going back to the you know the, your actual work and books and so on and so forth, and I mentioned this earlier, there aren't really a whole lot of Angels books out there. And that's despite the fact they have a really interesting history. You wrote one yeah. that we can at least describe as partially an Angels book, right? And so you being where you are, where you're located, and how much you've covered the Angels, do you have any Angels projects in mind for the future? Oh, um, you know, I, 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 I continue uh, to sort of be intrigued by Albert Pujols, and, and I know that it's sort of the sore spot for some Angel fans. There's a lot of money, and it's the downside of his career, and uh, at times he can be a drag on, on the offense. Um, but, I, you know, I, I also try to remind people that this is what, 3,000 hits and, and 600 home runs and 2,000 RBIs. When, when guys reach these numbers, this is what it looks like. You know, generally speaking, uh, guys sort of stagger through those, through those big milestone numbers. Um, you know, I, I think I look back to what, you know, something like 26 or 27 guys have 3,000 hits, and about a third of them never got to 3,100 hits. So I, because so much of the the starry part of his career was somewhere else, I think there's sort of a lack of appreciation for Pools, and he can be kind of a gruff guy and, and things. But um, you know, I, I think there's there's something there that that still to this day I, I just admire the fact that that he grinds as hard as he does and and doesn't make excuses and shows up and uh, look, you know. The fact that there's still time on that contract is not his fault, you know. Yeah, so hey, he was off. Uh, you know, I I think that's interesting. I think, um, you know, um, beyond that, I'm not I'm not sure. I, you know, I think obviously there's someday there's a Mike Trout book to be written, but um, you know, I'm not sure. In fact, I'm pretty sure Mike would not want to cooperate uh, at this point in his life. And you know, Mike is he is very focused on what he's doing today and while that can make him sort of a an, an uninteresting guy in the 21 hours around a game uh you know i still think that there are that i am i'm constantly sort of curious about what makes him go and he doesn't really let a lot of folks in he's very he's a very amenable guy he's friendly and and all but he, he keeps things on the field, and, and other than that, uh, close to the best. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's something to work on one of these days. What about a Mike Sosha book? He would probably do that. You know, Mike's an interesting guy, and and it's starting to feel like maybe he won't do this again. You know, I, I can't. Other than Ron Gardenhire, can you think of like a true old school manager, the last guy who was hired? Um, so. He may be looking at the the end of his career. I, I don't know where he might go if, uh, even if there were openings. And you know, he certainly had an interesting life, an interesting career. Maybe that's not a bad idea. Well, there are those Mets rumors with him. Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I, I mean, I, I, I think. think I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, you I don't might, know. You might think, look at the angels and go, "Yeah, there's some problems with the angels," but then you go look at the match and like, "Uh, yeah, let's stay away from there." 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, the Mets have some ways to go here. So, Tim, um, can you let folks know where they can find your work? Obviously, Yahoo Sports, but where can they find yourself on, on social media and so on and so forth so they can follow you? And also, where can your book be found? Uh, well, I assume the book is still out there on Amazon and all those places. Um, I'm at T Brown Yahoo on Twitter. And uh, other than that, I keep a low profile, man. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with me and just catch up on your work. And, you know, again, you're one of my favorite baseball writers. And you have been for a long time. So it's an honor that you would allow yourself to take that time with us today and appear on the show. And I hope you'll come back again. Well, I appreciate the interest very much. Thank you. Well, thank you. All right, everybody. There you go, Tim Brown. If you get a chance, check out the book. It's it's seven years old, but it's well worth the read. It's not a long read. It's a great story, and I'll put the link in the show notes for you as well. And, uh, well, hopefully you go out there and check it out if you haven't already. A lot of people haven't checked it out. It really surprised me that how, how few people even know about Jim Abbott's book. All right, so folks, reach out to us at talkinghandles at gmail.com if you like what we're doing. Also, help us keep the lights on here. <laughs> Seriously, um, we need a sponsor. We need some sponsors, so check us out again at talkinghandles at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. Don't forget to, on, to follow us on order at talkinghandles and search for our page on Facebook. You can find me, Derek C. Paul, and John Crane at Jags Crane John on Twitter. Don't forget some Spreaker and soon to be other podcast outlets, including we are already on iTunes or all those places. Check us out. Have a great day. Take it easy, and we'll see you on Sunday. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.